go to the Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to read verse number 5 to verse number 7. Of course, there's a very common passage. All of you kind of know some of it, at least by heart. I wanted to get all three of these verses in because I think it's uh, very pertinent to what we're going to talk about. It says here in verse number 5, Trust in the Lord of all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Notice the next verse. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Amen. Father, I just ask you, Lord, you would just guide and direct in this message tonight. We thank you that we can open up your word, uh, Lord, but without you, we can't uh, accomplish anything worthwhile. I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts, reveal to us any areas that uh, need to be dealt with tonight. Lord, uh, if we have dealt with some of these things and we are free, I pray you to teach us, Lord, so we can help others. Lord, disciple us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so I want to talk today a little bit, um, a message I call unbelief and anger, unbelief and anger. And so really when we're, the essence of what we've been talking about in regards to anger issues, it really comes down to the aspect of believing God or not. So unbelief is really at the heart of anger problems, all right? And I want to talk about a little bit of that today. And of course, that relates very closely to the aspect of fear. And we talked about that last week. Now, uh, like we talked last week, not all fear is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, there are some fears that are very good. I remember one time we had a young man that worked with my, my father, our business, and he would uh, constantly make statements. He was working in the trenches. We were underground work, and uh, we, would, we would have a cage, and that cage you know, could extend 8 to 12 feet high, and we'd drop it into the hole, and on top of that, you'd have... Uh, another, you know, 10 feet uh, V'd out. Uh, so they'd be quite, quite a ways down there. And, and his attitude, he wouldn't keep his eyes open, you know, and his attitude was like, well, I'm expendable. And it was like he had no fear. He wanted to promote this attitude. I don't fear anything. And, and I just said, you know, you, you got to be smart here because, <laughs> you know, there's some fear that is good. Be very careful because you just don't know what's going to happen, especially moving the amount of dirt that we did. And uh, it didn't take long, and we, we did this one crossing across the highway. It was about 16 feet deep, and uh, we, we didn't dig the trench for anybody to actually go down there. It was just basically a straight cut, uh, straight down. So that's quite a dangerous situation. And uh, what we were going to do is just simply drop, drop the pipe down uh, with the machines, which we did. We dropped that down. It was fine. But our government inspector had this brain uh, idea to get a shot on top of the pipe uh, so he could know the elevation. And I guess our worker thought that the best way to do that is to go down there and put the, the measuring stick on top of the pipe. And that's what he did. And he went down in the middle of this trench, and he put that stick down there, and the <laughs> inspector, I don't know if he got his shot or not, uh, but I could see, when I saw him down there, I was kind of shocked. And, you know, and, and I quickly looked up on top of the bank uh, on the highway, and I could see about three or four feet back a crack starting to develop, uh, 16 feet up, and before I could hit the horn, that wall came down, and it completely covered him, and he was gone, and uh, it caught him in a situation where it didn't knock him down, it actually just pinned him against the side of that trench, and he was buried standing up, 
And so we were able to get down there uh, with our hands. Of course, it was only filled up about eight feet, so we still had about eight feet of trench above us. So we had to kind of go down there, and we had our equipment blocking the, the walls that were still there. And we started to, you know, shovel. <laughs> we were just panicking. Here we started using shovels. Well, that might hurt his head if we hit him with that. So, so we started using our hands, and finally we got to his head, and we got his head freed so he could, you know, breathe and all that kind of stuff. And he was able to breathe and he talked to us, and and uh, we were able to at that point, uh, you know, with the machinery and different things, take away the dirt and free him. He walked out of there. It was quite a miracle. Uh, but he never said, I'm expendable after that. <laughs> His attitude just completely changed. And he got a, a whole new respect for the power of earth and the weight of it. And really, he was very fortunate because if that would have been uh, clay, a heavier type of dirt, he would have been dead. There's no doubt about it. But because it was a lighter soil, uh, Manitoba, some of that is silt and lighter soil, drier it, 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 he survived. It broke up and just kind of formed around him. And so uh, <clears throat> there's all kinds of fears that are, that are very vital to your existence. You know, people that like walking on the edge of high heights and so forth. And oh, I got no fear. Well, yeah, but you could fall and die and then it doesn't really matter <laughs> what you fear, you know. And so some fear is very, very important to put there. Uh, fear, that's why you, you equate fear with respect. Fearing the Lord is respecting the Lord. And so respecting is understanding that there are some things that are, have more power than you have. And you can't just, you'll live this life that you're ultimately indestructible and uh, I have all power. Only God can say that. He's the only one that doesn't have to fear anything. But we have to fear some things. But there's also a different kind of fear. And these kind of fears you'd be, relate to phobias and a worry and anxiety and Folks, and I'm sorry, like, uh, I understand uh, with the world today and psychology and they got everybody believing that there's some things you just can't overcome because this is just the way you are and now you have to go through the rest of your life just worrying about things and anxiety. And I'm sorry, I, I believe there's a cure for that, you know. Just call me old-fashioned, just call me just an old Bible believer. I just believe that a person can overcome all fear and anxiety in your life that ought not be there, all right? And, and pills aren't the answer, not by pilling yourself up. <laughs> People have tried to do that for generations. You know, they use the alcohol and drugs and heroin and all these kind of things. Now they just, you know, pharma, big pharma found a way to, you know, put this stuff out there in a way that, uh, you know, everybody can get access to it and so forth. And I understand sometimes there are situations where a person might have to because they're a danger to themselves. Uh, you know, I'm not saying anything about that, but I'm just saying... When it comes to solutions, I am very wary about hearing Christians say that this is your solution, is to numb yourself out with pills. Uh, I just believe you've not really sought the real answer to your problem. And I, I think there's a real solutions, amen, for that. And so I'm not saying get off your pills. That's your business, man. You don't take pills the rest of your life. You just go and do what you want to do. But I'm telling you something. Our, the Word of God has power, and His promises are true, and if you can get that truth into your heart and believe it, I'll guarantee you, you can walk through life without having imaginary fear, imaginary worry. Worry is imaginary, by the way. Most people worry about stuff that hasn't happened, <laughs> Amen. And, and usually never does happen, all right? And so we got to be careful about stuff like that. So let's talk a little bit about fear and unbelief. Fear and anger can work together to drive someone to action in a life-threatening situation. I mentioned this last week. 
you know, how you know, if you had your child abducted, your heart would be filled with fear. Uh, you'd probably be very angry too. And that not, is not necessarily sin. It would drive you and motivate you to run very fast. Your adrenaline would hit the roof. You could probably pick up that car and throw it over your head. You know, that's how the adrenaline, you, you've seen these things happen in, in uh, situations where people picked up cars and they never really had that strength. Um, but, you know, the, there are certain situations where, where fear and anger can work together to accomplish something that is good. Amen. And that's to save somebody's life or something like that. Uh, but most of the time, it's not very good. Um, <clears throat> the emotion of fear and anger is not necessarily wrong. It is the motive and how this is expressed that makes it sin. And so why am I afraid and why am I angry? And how am I expressing this anger? Um, that's where, you know, a child will express their anger by sulking or uh, you know, I'm not going to listen to you or whatever. Like those are sinful attitudes and you have to correct that. And so there's all kinds of ways we, we, uh, we do this. Uh, fear is always invo- involved. I'm trying to get my sentence here. <laughs> fear. Uh, I guess I'm trying to say is always has a tendency to, for us to lean on our own understanding or wisdom rather than God's word. And that's really the, the heart of the matter. When you have a fear that's not logical, that's not based in truth, it's because you're leaning on your own understanding. And in our passage, it says, trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. And so sinful fear is something that you will lean on. It's because you are thinking on it. It's not based in scripture, it's based on imagination. Scripture is truth, your imagination is not truth. Your imagination is fabrication. And many times our anxiety and stuff comes from fabrication, imagination. And that is always an act of the flesh. The flesh causes you to imagine things. And the devil wants you to get all worried about it. Uh, The word of God is through the spirit. The spirit wants you to know what to expect and make a decision principally upon what you're expecting. Amen? And so that, that's a completely different uh, opposite sides to the spectrum there. Um, it will manifest itself in believers that are spiritually immature uh, and neglect their responsibility to know God from the Scripture. That's really what this is all about. And this is really just a capstone to my uh, last few lessons that I've talked about as far as uh, um, the way we look at God. And I was going to move on to my next section, but I just had to get this last little peace in here. Amen. And so basically, when you neglect your responsibility to know God, you know, you got to want to know him. It's your responsibility to know him. Uh, Nobody else is going to put that information in your head except for you. Uh, You want deliverance, you want help, you want freedom, you want liberty, uh, you don't, you want to defeat your worry, you want to defeat your fear, you want to overcome your anger, it is all dependent upon you taking up your responsibility to know God. Amen? And if you're not willing to do that, read your Bible, come to church, hear the preaching. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I, you know, I'm surprised how many people don't come to the preaching all the time because it's very helpful for you. It is something that will change your life, and it's different than just Bible reading. It's different than just studying on your own, and you know that to be a fact. Because when you come on a Sunday morning, you say, whoa, God really did, you know, that doesn't happen every time you read your Bible at home. 
there's a very special thing that happens in the preaching of God's word, especially in a church service, because you have music, you have different things that stir your heart, prepare you for that, and set the, the heart ready for the receiving of that seed. And so I would never forsake the preaching of God's word. Uh, you will never regret giving your life to faithfulness to the preaching of the word of God. Anytime you can get it, you just get it, amen, and you allow it to do that, that uh, surgery in your heart. And so a person that is characterized by fearfulness and anger has not developed a clear understanding of God's love or comprehend how God's love changes our relationship to him and his response towards us. See, this is when you, it depends what kind of system you grew up in, you know, the system I grew up in, it was hard to get away from a God that was just out to get you. Just, you know, he's a God of judgment. The church, you know, their whole thing was, hey, you do that, you'll go to hell. <laughs> like, so God is created to be this God that all he wants to do is rule you by fear that you're going to go to hell. And it discourages you so much that you almost give up. And I've seen that in, in many people within the realm that I grew up in. They just figure, well, why even bother? I'm just not good enough. I'm just one of those that isn't good enough to keep God happy, you know, and not realizing that it's not even the God that is real. <laughs> That's a fabricated God that the church manufactured so that they could keep control over their people because they didn't know how that a relationship with God and promoting a relationship, individual relationship with God for the people would actually change their life. Amen. Because obviously, if, if I'm not afraid of going to hell uh, for, for the, the, the decisions I made and what I do, then I'm just going to want to go live like the devil. <laughs> and I still deal with that today. Uh, people, well, what makes you think that now your people won't just want to go live the way they want because you can know you're saved? <laughs> I says, all you got to do is look at the proof, man. <laughs> In fact, you, you give me 100 people that believe they'll go to hell for the works they, they do or don't do. You give me 100 people that believe God for who he is. I'll guarantee you the 100 that believe God for who he is are living a more holy and righteous life than those that are afraid. Why? Because they have no power to complete that process in their life. There's no growth in their life. It's just fear of the next step. That's all it is. And not only that, I believe if a person knows that they're saved, they know that they have a nature change. <laughs> and anybody that's born again, they're not the same as they used to be. You're not that pig that wallows in the mud that you like to do before. You don't have that nature anymore. He's changed you. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so you got a completely new perspective of life. you got completely new desires that, that even come alongside your flesh. And I'm not saying you still don't have a desire in your flesh for maybe that rock music that you used to listen to. Your, your flesh enjoys that kind of stuff. I'm really worried about Christians that say, oh, no, I don't at all. You know, you're just trying to be spiritual. You, know? you're, you are underestimating the power of your flesh. Amen? Your flesh, after you get saved, loves the same things that it loved be before you got saved. But the difference is this. You have got a new person inside of you, one that was created in Christ, that gives you a real step up over that flesh. 
And when you feed that new person, the old desires wane away and the new ones take its place. And then you begin to learn by experience that, hey, these new desires I have are good for me. <laughs> and you know what? It gives me peace and joy and happiness. Where the sin, all it did was bring me uh, despair and, and worry and fear. And, and you begin to, in your mind, uh, make this decision that it is better to follow the Lord and trust in him than to put my confidence in myself. In fact, throughout the scripture, the apostle Paul warned uh, God's people and told them, put no confidence in your flesh. Why would he have to say that if they'd had no problem with the flesh? Amen? He's trying to tell them that you have to make a choice, right? And so, uh, wow, I got to that, I don't know. But 1 John 4, 17, that's just the way I am. You'll learn that, amen? 1 John 4, 17 says this about the love of God. It says, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. So right there, it's talking about the day of judgment. What's it relating to? Is it re- herein is your fearfulness made perfect, that you may be ready for the judgment. No, it says herein is your love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Amen. So when you have your love perfected, that's when you're ready to face God. Not when you're scared of hell, but when your love is perfected. You see, very important. It goes on to say, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So basically, a person that is living in fear all the time, worry, they're frustrated, they're irritated, they're annoyed at things, uh, they're fearful about everything, they don't understand the love of God. And they're not made perfect and mature in that love. Amen? And once we are, you're ready to meet God. Then you're ready to face Him. (laughs) Not when you're scared enough to make the right choices, but when you love Him enough to make the right choices. You understand? That's a completely different thing than what some of us were taught growing up. You know, this is how you live right. (laughs) That's a different God. Now God, like I said this morning, he does have wrath, but that's only against those that refuse his knowledge and say no to him. Amen? He is really doing everything he can, everything outside of grabbing your arm and just twisting it behind you and say, Uncle! He's doing everything he can for you to give you the opportunity to live the right right kind of life. Amen? Every part of God shows us that we can trust him and delight in his love for every aspect of his existence. We can delight in it. There's no part of him that we have to fear and say, oh, I don't like that part of God. All of it is good. And I love every part of it. I love everything he does. Amen? He's righteous and holy and good. And his holiness is not at odds with me. It isn't. Its its demands are met in Jesus Christ, and I stand before him wholly positionally, and he gives me the opportunity to have my life change as I submit to him day after day after day. What kind of God would do that? What what kind of God would just simply say, you know, I'm going to give you the holiness you need to enter into my courtroom and to be right? But I'm also going to give you time, practically, to become everything I want you to be. 
And you're going to mess up over and over and over again. And you're going to make mistakes. And you're going to kick yourself. But I'm not going to throw you away. <laughs> you know? It's not like, oh, you failed. Bam, you're gone. We'd all be gone. He's given us such a great opportunity to go forward for him. Amen? In all your weaknesses, he just says, it's okay. <laughs> That's the love of God. We need to be perfected in that. Amen? Fear is the incapacity to take God at his word, and in essence, is unbelief. Adam's first response was a sense of guilt and fear. In most situations, when an angel or God approached man, immediately they would say, what would they say? Fear not. <laughs> he under, they underst- God understood our fear problem. And he always was there to tell us, I don't want you to fear. Fear not. Fear not, fear not, fear not. He doesn't want you to live in a state of fear. But we fear, and he knows it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. If he's the strength of my life, who am I going to be afraid of? That big scary guy that you know? No, because God is greater than him. God is greater than that situation. God is greater than your problem. Amen. No need to fear. Psalm 56 verse 4. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Wow. Wow. Revelation 21, verse 8. It's interesting. This is talking about the condemned, those that are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And it's interesting, the first descriptive word that he has for these people, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Fear, fearfulness. I remember when we first started the church here in Airdrie, we had someone that wanted to come to church, but she was so afraid. I'm afraid you may teach me the wrong things, and I'm afraid to bring my kids, and I'm afraid to this, and to this day, never even walk through the door. Fearful, fearful. How is someone like that ever going to hear the word of God, ever hear the gospel? Fear is keeping them from understanding and getting to the preaching of God's word. What happens if we go to the door and, oh no, I can't listen to you because I'm just too afraid of, of what you're going to say. And many people are like that and they close the door and they don't want to hear the gospel and they, they one day will stand before God but the fearful and the unbelieving. Fear causes us to make irrational decisions based on emotions and against what God promises and commands. So we got to be careful because it's very real for us today. I will not discipline my child because I'm afraid they will not love me. Or I'm afraid what people will think. Or I'm afraid about getting in trouble. Fear. If you don't think fear is in the church, you are mistaken. <laughs> it's all kinds of fears that, are, that surround even God's people. I'm afraid to tell my son he cannot date or my daughter they cannot date because that person, whatever, doesn't uh, qualify, <laughs> you know. I'm afraid they won't like me or they'll run away or something like that. And now fear has dictated my decision. 
I'm afraid if I don't lie for my boss, I'll be fired. Because many bosses require you to lie for them. (laughs) Or fudge the numbers or something. Now, if you're afraid to say, no, I'm not going to do that, you know, you're going to live in fear every day. I'm afraid if I don't take that job, I'll not be able to pay my bills. So what happens is sometimes Satan offers you something right in front of your face and said, oh boy, if you don't, and he puts that thought in your mind, if you don't take this, but he knows it's going to take you away from the things of God. It's his whole tactic for your life. I've seen it. I've been doing this for two decades. You know how many people that I have seen fall to this over and over and over again? It never produces what the Satan promises them. Never. Terrible. I'm afraid that if I confront that person about sin, they'll hate me. You know, that's a big one. We let, we'll, we'll let somebody go on in sin and destroy their life just because we're afraid. We don't love them enough to put ourselves on that cross, you know, and confront it. We love ourselves too much, is what it is. The Apostle Paul, he talked about being afraid. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, it says this, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Now that's, that's pretty unique right there, especially this is what he's going to say next. For when we were come to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Saying when I was, when we were trying to go forward in the ministry here, we were troubled all over the place. We had fighting around us, and you know what was happening in us? Fears. Fears. It's pretty interesting how he goes on to say, Nevertheless, God, that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. Amen. So here he's got fears inside, fightings outside, and he's talking about the comfort that he's got through the Lord, through God's people. Isn't that something? And he opens it up by saying, great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I'm exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. (laughs) You say, Paul, you make me sick. (laughs) Right? How is that true, Paul? Are you just, is this just, you're just kind of, you know, exaggerating here in the Bible, right? Just to make it look good. No, this is inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. I'm exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Is that us? Or are we exceeding fearful? It's not that he didn't have fears within. He had everything you've got. He faced it all like you face it, you know? but he allowed himself to be comforted by God. It was his relationship with the Lord. It was his relationship with the people of God that caused him to understand the comfort of God where he could go forward and even in all of his tribulations, he could be comforted and he could have exceeding, not just joy, exceeding joy. That's different than just joy. 
that's bigger than just joy. Amen? And he was able to tell these folks that, and say, they, they probably looked at it the same way you and I. They said, wow. <laughs> you mean we don't have to be afraid every time something goes on and you know, wonder what's going to happen? We can actually have joy in the midst of it? We can. We can. Paul's fears were placed in the proper context of confidence in God's sovereign control and that God gives deliverance and comfort in every trial. Every trial. He's able to rejoice, exceeding joy. Two major problems that lead to needless anxiety. Two things. First one is this. A life centered on the treasures of the world but at the same time, you're claiming to love God. You want to know why it is that we have needless anxiety? Because we give ourselves to this world and its treasures, but we're trying to pretend like we love God. And it's a contradiction in our own soul. We're not true. <laughs> Amen? This is very important we understand this. That's why in Matthew 6, verse 24, it says, No man can serve two masters. For he'll either will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I've learned some things over the years as a pastor that when someone gives themselves to the treasures of this world, they hate my messages. <laughs> they hate my messages. Because my messages will always bring them to the reality that you can't live for treasure of this world. And that giving yourself to God is far more important a priority than everything you can get from this world. And our minds can't comprehend that. It's just too, too big for us to comprehend. You don't expect me to give up food in my children's mouths? No, because that was never what God said you needed to do. He said, take no thought for your life. He says, if I take care of these birds that fall to the ground, he says, will I not feed you? Won't I take care of you? You know, so we take, well, we, why, I think what we do is we pretend to take God's responsibility upon ourselves to make it spiritual. But in all reality, we want the treasures that go with it, the toys, the stuff that keeps our flesh happy, you know? And I don't think we really t think much about the food anymore especially in Canada. Food and clothes, that's probably the least of our worries. And as little as I have had in my life, we've never really had to worry about food and clothing or a place to stay because God has always provided for that. But you know what we did worry about? What kind of car we're going to drive and what we're going to have and the extra stuff and vacations and all these other things, you see. So we, we live for the treasure of the world um, I think I have that other passage here as well. I'm going to turn there, Matthew chapter 6. So it says in verse number 19, chapter 6, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt. And where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. See, it's, it's a love problem, you know? And your heart is set on the riches, but, but because you're a Christian, you want everybody to believe you love God. But in all reality, I don't really love God. I, I love the treasures, <laughs> you know? And, and I prove that by not giving them up when I need to. And so I've got the wrong master. So I learned to love the one and despise the other. That's why I say, when I've learned to make the master this world and the treasures of the world, when I hear preaching that totally rips that away from me, I get agitated. I despise it. I devalue it. Right? And then we say, well, that's old-fashioned preaching. I mean, come on. <laughs> we're living in a... No. I mean, if we're not going to preach it the way the Bible says it, why bother going to church? <laughs> we have to challenge each other here. We have to challenge this. I have to challenge you and your love. That's what this is all about. Amen? And one of the biggest problems we have that creates anger and frustration in our life is that we really love the treasure but we say we love God. And when we're confronted with what we say that we actually do, we get frustrated and irritated because in all reality, we begin to despise the things of God. And we start making little subtle decisions that don't even make sense about staying away from the things of God because you know that you're constantly being reminded of what you're not surrendering Amen? Is that too real for us today? <laughs> Amen? That is where it's at, folks, for all of us. All of us. We can all be there. Amen? We have to deal with that. God tells us our treasure should be Him alone, and He should be the object of our highest affections. And that means your love, your highest affections. The thing you love the most ought to be God. That's what the Bible says. That's what God wants. I mean, maybe it's not a reality, but that's what he says and that's what he wants. Amen? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so he wants you to make him your treasure. You got to look at him as everything you've ever wanted is in him. Everything that you could possibly need is in him. Everything your family desires and needs to be a good family is in him. All your success and prosperity is in him. And it's not in anything else. And if you can let that go and realize that all the treasures of the world are not going to bring you success. Money won't bring you success. Good jobs won't bring you success. I'm not against having a good job. I mean, if you get a good job, get a good job. That's fine. But be careful where you place your affections. Amen. He requires the highest affection from you. That's why the two great commands, what? Love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart. That's what it means. Genesis 15, 1. These things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Well, I just want to get rewarded out of life. The Bible says that God is your reward. I am your shield. Well, I'm scared. I, I feel like uh, I'm not protected here. I feel we won't have enough money. We won't be able to pay the bills. We won't be able to eat. We won't this. We won't that. Well, he says, 
I am thy shield. I am the one. But we use, look at the picket lines. That's their shield. That's their shield. I remember there's a young man, you know, he was working for his um, company and they had an association and the association gets together and they choose to strike and they just have to strike and they require everybody in the association to go carry a sign outside. And he just said, I don't want to do it because really I'm happy. I don't want anything more. So why should I go out there with a sign, you know? I said, well, brother, you ought not be a part of that association. That association is requiring you to look at something else as your shield. Isn't that amazing how it does that? He says, I'll just stay and work. <laughs> if I'm the only one in the shop, I'll do it. And that's the way it ought to be. Because he knew where his success came from. He knew who gives him his raises. He knew who his shield is. This complaining and murmuring spirit that we have in the world today about always getting more and oh, you don't give me enough, and I don't have enough benefits, and just praise God you have any. You, know, you look at all the preachers in this, this country, independent Baptist preachers, they don't have no, no benefit plan. And I'll tell you something, they also have no retirement plan. And you're killing them. <laughs> Think about that. They're getting closer to grave because of people like you, and they got no retirement plan. Isn't that something? Now, I'm just saying that in a joking way, right? <laughs> Maybe they trust God. And a lot of these guys, I remember one guy, he was a dental uh, technician. He gave it up to be a preacher. I knew one guy, he was a major league baseball pitcher. He gave it up to be a preacher. A couple of them, actually, a couple of major league I've, I've known. They could have made millions of dollars. They gave it up to go be a preacher and not have a retirement plan. <laughs> that story is over and over and over again. Well, that's because they're just like you sitting in that chair today. You're going to get to the point where you love God so much. You can say, okay, I think I'm ready to use you to go reach some other people because you got the stuff they need to hear. He's not going to pick somebody that's all fearful of you know, retirement plans to go be your pastor. <laughs> Amen. If he is, he's got the wrong guy. Remember in our first ministry, there was a pastor, he's negotiating his salary with the church. Negotiating. In other words, you meet my negotiation or I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not how it works here, by the way. You can't get rid of me if you tried, amen. Well, yeah, there is a way you can get rid of me if you really want to get rid of me. <clears throat> but it won't be because of me. It'll be your choice. But you know, <clears throat> when we talk about salary, it's just okay, this is your responsibility, what are you going to do about it? You know, well, we're not going to give you anything. Well, I'm going to keep on preaching. I heard this one uh, pastor not long ago uh, at the Alberta Preachers Fellowship. He was talking about his dad, how all the deacons in the church decided to not pay him anymore. They didn't fire him. They said, we're not paying you. <laughs> wow. Then he wanted, to ex he wanted to expand the church. No, we're not giving you any money for that. So he got himself a shovel and he started working. They go by and say, what are you doing? I'm building a church. No money. <laughs> I'm just trusting God. No pay, no money. Finally, one of the deacons just saw, kept looking at this guy hard that he would not quit. He just kept, he's saying, pastor, we're not doing right. 
He says, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. It's not based on, see, some people think because they control the money, they can control the pastor. That's not true. It shows you where your love is. You got the wrong master. Amen. This preacher, he had a different master. Had nothing to do with mammon. Had nothing to do with treasures. Had nothing to do with any of that. It had to do with his God and saying, Lord, you are my shield. You're my exceeding reward. You're the one that provides. I'm just going to work like you're just going to take care of things. And sure enough, God took care of things. He got his expansion. He got his salary back. He got all these different things because he would not quit. Amen. I can't believe a church would be that mean. My goodness, churches could be very mean. <laughs> Amen. I've heard many stories like that. Wow. Maybe we give them too much power. Amen. Colossians 3.1 if, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Seek those things which are above. We're not priorities right, so this is the second thing. So the first one is a life centered on treasures of the world, but at the same time claiming to love God. That's a big source of anger and frustration in your life. The second uh, major issue is when our priorities are right, we are able to rest confidently in God's care and purpose for our lives. No, sorry, that's not right. This is still part of my first point. Yeah, sorry, I messed up. So Matthew 6, verse 25, it says this. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, for what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air... For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? See, that's a love issue, isn't it? Knowing who God is. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You see, most of our problem with our treasures is we're somehow thinking that tomorrow I have to have it settled. I have to have it. And I'm not against a savings plan uh, that's great, you do that. But folks, <laughs> I've learned this, that a savings account can go away very quickly. Things can happen where that just goes bye-bye. And imagine putting all of your faith in that savings account. See, that's what happened in the 1930s with the, the stock market. When it crashed, people were jumping off of bridges, committing suicide. Because everything they put all of their hope in was now just ripped out of their hands. Imagine if they would have just taken Matthew chapter 6 and just made God their treasure. They wouldn't have jumped off no bridge. Amen? Fear. 
anger, doubt, you know, unbelief. And that's our second point, and that's why I really mess it up, a life of unbelief. We just don't believe God. When we doubt God's word, we're left to our own imaginations. We'll have a false notion that we can control our own destiny. We're taught by that. We're taught in Hollywood by that. Hollywood teaches us that. You can just control your own destiny. You know, it's very easy when I'm writing a script to figure out where it ends. <laughs> Amen. Because I can just write it the way I want it. And, and then I can put it into film. And then everybody listens to and watches it. Oh, wow, look at this. And they get this hair scheme, uh, harebrained scheme that somehow they can control their own destiny just because the writer of that movie did control the end of the movie. But if you ever look at these movies, there's one thing I never see in them, and that's where is God in this? I mean, not just the mention of God. <laughs> I'm talking about a, a true biblical perspective of God in their life. Rarely, if ever, will you ever see that in a movie. And yet it always turns out okay. Isn't that teaching our children something? Control your own destiny. No, sir. Those scripts, if God would be writing them for them, they'd be that, the end of that movie would be a lot different. A lot different. We have this false idea that we can protect ourselves. In both of these problems, we attempt to save our own lives and preserve our way of living. That's what it's about. Preserving yourself, you forfeit the only life worth living. I'm going to tell you something. If you cannot get away from this idea that you have to control your life, you're going to miss what God has for you. If you cannot give it up, if you cannot forfeit what you think constitutes your life, you are going to miss what God has for your life. I remember when I started in the ministry, I had all kinds of ideas what my life was going to be. I had to come to a point where I was willing to take my life and just put it on the altar. Everything I wanted to do, everything I wanted to become, whatever I judged as success, whatever, all these things I had to put on the altar, and then I had to just simply put it all into God's hands and say, I don't know what it looks like now. I don't understand what this is going to end up being. <laughs> There's no way I thought that I'd be here today. It was always just under my feet every day. It was just doing the next thing today. That's a different way to live. I remember even working in construction. Every day I could look back and see how many, foot, how many feet of pipe we put into the ground or how many, how many things we did. It was very measurable and I could feel kind of successful by, by seeing what I've done. But one of the biggest shocks to me in ministry was, was when I got into ministry, I couldn't see that every week. In fact, sometimes it seemed like I was laying the pipe backwards here. Like somehow I'm going against it. So I couldn't judge success the way I used to judge it. It's something I just, everything has to be just placed in the hands of God. Do you understand that? How many doors do you have to knock on? How many door hangers do you have to put on a door to get a result so you can measure what God is doing so you can feel somehow that you're uh, accomplishing something. 
How could Noah know when he's preaching for 120 years? He had nothing to measure his success. Jeremiah, called by God to preach the word of God. And yet every day he'd get up and he'd preach and you know what they'd do? They'd throw him into a pit. They'd make fun of him. He never knew what was going to happen day after day. Then God would say, go do this. And he says, oh no. <laughs> he'd go do it. Sure enough. Nothing to measure success other than the fact, God, I'm doing what you've asked me to do. That's everything. Can you live like that? Can you live a life where it's simply good enough to know that you're doing what God asks you to do <laughs> and not being able to see the success of those decisions? And sometimes it almost seems like you're going backwards. That's the faith life. That's making God our priority. Amen? Saving our own lives, preserving our way of living, anger, frustration, irritation, because somehow my way is being threatened, my way is being called into question, my way somehow is going to be lost, and we become angry. And we live that way. When God just says, that was never my way. In fact, in Matthew 10, 38, he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. What a powerful scripture. You know, there's a time in my life as a Christian, I never knew that second life. I had to find that life. I had to lose mine first before I found the second one. Now that I have the second one, I'm much happier with the second one than I ever would have been with the first one. Because the first one was my way. <laughs> that was my strength to preserve. That was my strength to protect. That was my way I was going to take care of my family, my future, my retirement, my this, my that. I would have had to carry that all on my shoulders my whole life, just like Christians do every day. They just live their life for themselves, preserving their way, and they're carrying it every day, and they cannot handle it. You can't take it. And that's why you're frustrated. And no matter how much money they throw at you, you're still angry. Because it's not the life that God designed you for. Fear leads us to preserve ourselves. Self-preservation is a recipe for anger and contention when it consumes our thinking. That's what happened with Israel in the wilderness. They started to think back at where it used to be, and now they looked at all the troubles they were going through, and they were just frustrated and discouraged because of the way. Because of the way. Psalm 78 I wish I had time to read it all. I don't. It tells you all the things that God did for Israel. And I would encourage you to read it at home. Uh, how he divided the sea. How he led them with a cloud. How he claved the rocks in the wilderness. He gave them drink out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Not just a little stream off of a rock. It was like a river poured out of the rock. God did that. And you know what it says? And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. 
Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? <laughs> See, this is the question. The question is, if I give my life to you, God, can you, in the wilderness that you're calling me to, can you actually furnish a table for me there? Can you actually give me something that I'm going to eat upon and be taken care of and enjoy a feast with my family and so forth? Can you do that, God? <laughs> See, it was because their doubt that God could do that that caused the lust to grow in their heart. And that's why even though God was providing with them, they still wanted more. They says, well, then give us the quail. And then when he sent the quail, they became so lustful, they, they ate so much, they became sick. And God brought judgment into their life because of it. Because their lusts were so strong, because they would not believe that God could just furnish them day by day in the wilderness. That's when the lusts go crazy. <laughs> Amen? He rained manna down from him. They, they, they ate angels' food, the Bible says. He rained flesh upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. So they did eat and were filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust. But while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel, the fattest of them. Where did the fattest of them get that way? <laughs> that was their life. Their life got them fat. They remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand nor the hand when he delivered them from the enemy. How he wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan and had turned the rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. And he goes through all the different plagues that came to them and how God led them safely through. Yet it says they tempted and provoked the most high God and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. <laughs> oh my goodness. A love problem. What are some fears that fuel anger in your life? Fear of God's rejection. Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you everything. He's not going to reject you. Fear of God's judgment. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Fear in regards to one's salvation. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Fear of loss. 
If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Fear of death. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? How about fear of man? The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Fear of suffering. Matthew 8, 24, Behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, and so much that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm but the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Amen. You afraid of suffering? Fear of failure. Joshua 1.5 There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. There is only success when you follow God. Fear of loneliness. Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. How about fear of the future? John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would, have, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Fear of anything. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanks God, let your request, thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. The antidote to fear is faith in God's shepherding care and his love. That is what it's all about. Psalm 34, 4. <clears throat> I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's powerful stuff. A mature understanding of God's love will dispel all fear. Perfect love casteth out all fear. Amen. You're fearful about life. What things are going to be like? Am I going to be alone? Is this going to happen? That's going to happen. The imaginations are running wild. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. And he cares about every part of your life. He is a good shepherd. You ever seen those videos on Instagram or Facebook about the little sheep? How they jump in that little trench? You ever see that one? It's so good. And the guy's just trying to pull this stupid sheep out of there and yanks him out and puts him on the side. And the sheep just runs away because he's scared and jumps right back in again. <laughs> just, ah! That's what the Lord does. And you know what the Lord would do if he jumped back in? He would go and pull you out again. And pull you out again, pull you out again, and pull you out again. Oh, I should have put it on video. We should have watched that. A mature, a mature understanding of God's love will dispel all fear. Let's bow our heads.
So I'll stand for